welcome to Pennycast, where we catch up with a range of interesting people, exploring themes around the four pillars of financial freedom, growing wealth, family, protection, and community, and providing ideas and inspiration to live a more meaningful life. Hi, I'm Alan Thorne, and I'm delighted you could join us for this latest edition of Pennycast, the podcast by Penny Financial Partners. In our last edition, we were joined by Sam Johnston, a consultant at Penny Financial Partners, to discuss the importance of taking action before the tax year end, which is coming up on April the 5th, with a specific look at ISAs and the part that they can play in helping you achieve your financial goals. Today, in the second part of our tax year end series, I'm delighted to be joined by Dave Lardner, a senior technical consultant at Penny Financial Partners, to look at some of the other areas of opportunity that should be considered before the end of the financial year. So, good morning, Dave, and I hope all is well with you. Morning, Alan. So, today, Dave, we were looking to discuss some of the other um, options, opportunities, potential actions um, to take before the end of the tax year. And we were going to be looking at uh, areas like pensions, things to consider like IHT and, and estate planning and, and capital gains tax and, and, and dividend tax and, 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 and so on. But of course, and I think, you know, from your perspective and, and generally, I think this is not something, yes, they're all important in isolation, but fundamentally, it's um, it's actually something a bit more joined up than that. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that that the tax year, the end of the tax year gives you a, a great time to assess your finances, look at your assets, look at your rates, allowances, reliefs, consider it as an individual or as a couple. Um, but I think what can quite easily happen is you fall into a trap of just thinking about things in isolation um, and some of the things that we'll talk about today are and should be considered at a holistic level whether that is the pension contributions how that interacts with your tax reliefs how that can potentially change the levels of cgt that you can be paying on any gains you crystallized the they all interact they can overlap and I think for me, this is the, the the benefit of the financial advice in the sense that a good advisor um, is going to be able to understand them at an individual level, but also be able to see the interaction and therefore give an advice that ultimately aims to reduce a tax liability that puts more hands in the pocket of, of you as the client, which ultimately gives you more money on which you can gain growth over the longer term, isn't it? The less you pay in tax, the more you hold on to, the more you hold on to, the more you can grow the money. And so, and so, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, for instance, we were, you know, we were going to kind of start off looking at kind of pensions, you know, which also, you know, you know, a critical ingredient for for any happy retirement. Um, and of course, there's, you know, there's the basic tax reliefs, um, which many people will know, but of course, we will we'll kind of touch on those. But it's, uh, I guess, it's a bit more of a, it's a more complicated picture than that, ultimately. Yeah, I think if you if you focused on pensions, the the driving force behind that is generating your fund for retirement. You know, there is the state pension. Most people um, will receive that state pension um, and it's not a sum that is a, is a minute amount. You know, it will be noticeable. But the reality is the age at which it becomes payable is stretching further and further. And most people have a desire that means retiring far beyond or far below, far before, I should say, the age at which a state pension kicks in. So your private pension provision is about funding that gap, bridging that gap between when you really want to stop working 
and that might be a kind of stage thing and reducing to part time, etc. But principally, it's normally bridging the gap, isn't it? And and the pension and the tax relief that you get on those contributions is a really big part of that. And so, OK, so just talking to let's kind of row back there slightly to those nuts and bolts. And so let's talk about, you know, the, the tax relief on pensions. Now, a lot of people will, will, will understand this, but let's just kind of um, let's kind of spell it out first and foremost. What, when we talk about tax relief on pension contributions, what, what do we mean? So if we keep it at a really basic level, this is the government's way of, shall we say, encouraging your own self-saving. So the government accept that longer term, it wants you to be able to generate and self-fund your retirement alongside the provision that's provided by the state. So what the government does is say, when you make a pension contribution, subject to you being a taxpayer, you can have relief. Now, anybody can make a pension contribution of up to £3,600 a year gross. Beyond that, it's about the earnings that you have and the tax relief. And you can make a contribution that at the point you make it, if we keep it simple, if I was to put £100 into a pension, it only really cost me £80 because the, the revenue are giving me a 20% tax relief. So that's 20p in every pound goes into the pension from the revenue I'm paying the 80p. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you can claim a further tax relief, but you'll do that through your tax return. So that'll be an, up to another 20%. And if you're an additional rate taxpayer and in over 150,000, then you see an extra relief again, beyond that again, through tax returns. And so, Clearly, there is, you know, clearly this is a fantastic way of, of saving for your, for your retirement without, without a doubt. And, and so the, I guess the first point is you would assume it's, uh, in every tax year there is a real opportunity to, to really bolster that fund. And it, and it, kind, of, it kind of makes sense, does it not, to, to, to put as much as possible every year into that pension if you can? Yes, I think it does. I think... If you're talking about it from a tax planning perspective and a saving for retirement perspective, the answer is yes. Clearly, there'll be lots of other personal factors that come into that. So, you know, if you're talking to a 30-year-old who has now got a pension, who has got a pension being funded by the employer, you know, all the rules have changed over the recent years and you've got auto-enrolment and you've got the, the requirement for employers to to create and pay into a pension for for workers, you start to say, well, if you have the earnings, if you can claim the tax relief and you can afford to put it into a pension and you can afford to accept that that is then in that pension until later in your life, i.e. that you can't say in five years time, I wish I'd, I had it back. Could I now spend it on a house deposit? If you can accept all those things, I think it would be rare that you wouldn't benefit. It wouldn't, it's rare that you wouldn't want to benefit from the relief from from the from the revenue. I think if you asked your boss and you said, and or your boss said to you, I'm going to give you a 20% pay rise, you'd happily accept that 20% pay rise. So the way to look at the pension is I'm getting the 20% pay rise on my contribution, the revenue are paying for it. And so, so looking at pension, so, I mean, how does that fit in then with some of the other things that we were talking about, about kind of this overall kind of estate planning? I know, for instance, um, you know, how does it, we talked about this kind of holistic view of of of, of tax uh, planning ultimately, and we talked about uh, we we touched there on pensions and the opportunity to to fund pensions in the tax year, 
But so how do they kind of, how does that fit in with, with some of the other things to consider? Like we mentioned, kind of maybe IHT or maybe capital gains, for instance. Um, I mean, are there implications for one if you, for instance, if you are focused, if you're too focused on one, are there implications on the other, for instance? Yeah, I, I think there's a definite overlap of all of these factors, and that's that's the key for advice. I think if you if you were thinking about if we take a look at estate planning, pensions, and ISA, let's just say that for a second. That's that's quite wide in itself, but ISAs grow tax-free. They are free from income tax, free from capital gains tax, but they're not free from inheritance tax. So they're great tools for your longer term investments, your longer term savings. But there does come a point later in life when actually you start to kind of change your objectives. You say, well, my estate is so big now, a big ISA fund is counterproductive for IHT, but it's been great for growing the fund. Then you say from a pension perspective, well, I was always getting a tax relief on the way in and it grows efficiently while it's in there. So that's great. But I, I've got less flexibility with a pension in my earlier life, in my earlier working life. So the interaction between the pension and ISA is often probably driven by the tax relief on the way in, which is what you get on the pension, versus the tax position while it's being invested and growing over the longer term. But between those two, it's often the interaction about when you want access, when you can access. If you then overlap that with inheritance tax planning, like I said, the ISA is not IHT friendly. It is subject to inheritance tax on death if the value of your estate is above the relevant allowances that we'll touch on. But the pension is free of IHT. So a contribution into a pension not only gets you tax relief on the way in, grows tax efficiently in the pension fund, but while it remains in the pension, it's free of inheritance tax. So again, there is an interaction there. So on that basis, really, so when you were thinking about tax year end and you're thinking about the potential reliefs and, and allowances that are available to you in your tax year, I guess in many ways it's dependent on where the stage you're at in your life ultimately as to how you use these uh, and which ones become more important in terms of your kind of overall tax planning approach? Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that one of the things that's really important is to not pigeonhole yourself or the outcome so that a blended approach can be perfectly appropriate, can't it? Whilst you have an ISO allowance that everybody can use up to £20,000 a year, for some people, just because I've got £20,000 that I want to invest and the allowance is twenty. It doesn't mean that putting it all in the ISA is the right answer because they might say, well, actually, I'll benefit from the tax relief if I make a pension contribution. And I'm happy to say that half of my money is locked up until I'm in my 50s, 60s, whereas for the other half, I might want to access it in 10 years time. So you're still utilising allowances, you're utilising relief, you're utilising tax positions of different solutions, but you're having a blended approach, aren't you, so that suits your circumstance? And and so, I mean, we, we, we've, we've spoken previously about capital gains and, and I think um, and it'd be interesting just to get your take on, obviously we've got the capital gains tax that, uh, so where, where are we with capital gains? Is, is there, in terms of the, the relief on that or the allowance on capital gains, is that, is that, is that about to change? No, so there's no there's no imminent changes that have been announced in terms of your capital gains tax position. Um, many people will have seen lots of changes to capital gains tax CGT over time. Principally at the moment, CGT is a relatively simple situation. If you make a capital gain 
and the gain exceeds your annual allowance of £12,300 per individual, then you pay tax on that gain at a rate of 10, 20 or 28%, depending on what it is. So if I'm a basic rate taxpayer and that gain is on the sale of shares, I'm going to pay 10% unless the gains are so big that they push me into higher rate where I might pay 18% on some of it as well. But if it's a buy to let because it's residential property, the gain will always be subject to 28% regardless. So there's different rates depending on the asset type. But again, the use of, the use of those allowances is really key. They are a use it or lose it. If I have £12,300 a year for gains and I have assets that are subject to gains, I should be assessing every tax year whether I can do anything to deliberately create uh, an environment where I crystallise a gain, almost unlock it. So if that is a uh, share portfolio, for example, if I were to sell some shares in the current tax year and they've got some gains on them, I could try and sell enough shares to generate an amount that utilises my allowance but not enough that generates a tax bill. And so, so that's a really important point there. So one of the um, one of the considerations, as you say, is every tax year is you've got this allowance. You know, you are you might be holding a an asset that you may or may not want to hold. You, you know, you may have been holding onto it for purely for tax reasons, and that's something that probably needs to be considered every tax year to see if you can extract some of the. I guess some of the value of that asset without without um, experience the, the tax pain. Yeah, I think that um, capital gains is an interesting one because I think most people think that because you get the allowance, it's almost a little bit forgotten. So with a good strategy, you can have an investment or holdings that are subject to capital gains tax. But with careful planning, CGT in lifetime, you can look at every year, you can look at transactions, you can look at changes, it could be a fund switch in a unit trust portfolio, things that crystallise a gain, it might be, you know, you've got to have a look at the risk, you've got to have a look at the underlying investment decisions that you're trying to make, because you're not going to just sell or make a fund switch merely to create a gain if you're then putting it in the wrong portfolio or the wrong fund position to your risk. But if you want to generate a gain, you can make changes to do that you can try and create that to the environment of utilising your allowance. Because if you use that every year, over 10 years, that's over £120,000 worth of gain that you wouldn't have paid any tax on. You know, if you take, in that, if you take that, it's a higher rate liability. If over 10 years you've used your allowance, that's £120,000 of, of tax free, which would otherwise still be in that holding, ultimately subject to CGT. So you've got a grand gain, and you're a higher rate taxpayer, that's basically costing you nearly £25,000 of tax. And and again, it comes back to that that point you made, we've been making at the start about this holistic approach, and then that, that 120000 well, whatever you may have taken, you know, crystallised from the asset, the opportunity then is to, is to do something with that cash fundamentally within the tax year again, which meets your, well, your objectives, but ultimately, you know, looking at the other opportunities where you can put that money into kind of, um, you know, ta in a tax efficient way. Yeah, you're you're trying to, you know, you're trying to create a balance. You're trying to create a a blended approach of your financial circumstances, whether it be from access to time horizons, from risk to the tax allowances, the reliefs, the different solutions. 
you should utilize as best as possible all things that are available to you. OK, so when I look at that CGT, I'd say if you weren't doing that sort of thing on a regular basis, what you actually do is storing up the gains. Right, so you'll, you'll hear people talk about assets that are pregnant with gains because they are pregnant with the gain. The gain isn't going anywhere. So in 10 years time, when you want to come out of that, all of the gains are assessed in a single tax year against one allowance, two if you're married. OK, that's a heavy hit to take if you hadn't been proactive in managing those gains on a, on a regular basis. The one bit that some people think is, well, at the moment, there is a special rule that is that basically means that when you die, capital gains die with you. So if it's a holding that has gains on it, the gains fall away at death and therefore your beneficiaries and the heirs to your estate receive it at probate value. Now you could argue that's great, but typically what you're seeing there is I've I've saved the gain tax. So let's say that's on average, if we're excluding residential property, what I've done there is saved 20% tax on my gain, but I might have paid 40% tax in terms of inheritance tax on the whole value. It's no better. So the point here is about taking advice to make sure that you are optimizing your assets, optimizing your tax planning, making as much as possible, not not you not losing pieces to tax that could otherwise have been avoided. Ongoing advice in that regard is paramount. So it's interesting. I mean, just going back to that point you make about you know assets assets being pregnant with gains. I mean, what's the what's the rash is there are there rational reasons why people would do that or is that ultimately because people just haven't really understood the need is it is it is it what well, is it an understanding issue or do people often consciously do this i think it could be both I, I think you could be quite consciously holding on to an asset because you like it it can you know you will quite often have situations that there's emotional attachments to things aren't they Financial advice is not just financial, it's emotive. So the reality is if I inherited a property, um, you know, I was very close to my granddad when he passed away. If I'd have inherited his property, I'd have really struggled to sell it. Now, on paper, I'd have said, well, it was his main residence. There's no CGT. If I sell it now, I get the cash value. I don't have to worry about gains. But emotionally, I might have struggled to sell it and I'd have kept that property. And when I sold it, in my lifetime in 20 years time when I was less emotional about it I'd have had 20 years worth of gains rolled up in that property I can't carve off gains each year in a residential property so I'd be guaranteeing to pay 28 percent in other words that's an emotional decision there'll be other scenarios where you've got a shareholding and you think I don't want to sell it yet the value's a bit depressed and you know that is a factor, isn't it? I wouldn't sell it yet because I don't think it's valued well enough. I'm going to wait till it's valued at the right point. But ironically, at the right point, I've then got the capital gains tax to worry about. So I think, generally speaking, could be emotive, could be financial, absolutely could be conscious. And then there is definitely a, a series of situations where it's an unconscious outcome. I didn't realise I could. I didn't know if. I didn't know to ask. I didn't take advice. So that's the unconscious, isn't it? And that's where I think we we can play a significantly um, big advantage to the client in being able to look at those situations. And if you are already in a situation, you've got gains, you might decide that I'm in there, but I don't want to be. How do I get out? Well, that's about planning it away over time, isn't it? Looking at other schemes that exist that might give you relief from CGT, um, which are outside the scope of this 
call or, or or this recording but certainly i think there are other situations that you can manage gains and I, I think the other point that you made about the interaction of the different things that we're talking about pension can be really key there and and it's an odd one most people don't really realize a pension contribution gives you tax relief but it's effectively the same as extending what is your basic rate to band the amount of income that you're allowed before you start to pay higher rate tax so if you take the personal allowance of roughly twelve and a half thousand between twelve and a half thousand and fifty thousand very rough numbers you are paying 20 percent tax if you make a pension contribution you are extending the band that is for your basic rate that can have the effect in the same tax year as crystallizing a capital gain. That means that more of your gains fall in basic rate at 10% than they would otherwise fall in at the 20% rate. So the interaction of a pension contribution in the same tax year as a capital gain being realized can be another huge tax advantage, but it can be quite complex. It's another area where the answer is to take advice. You can yeah. find lots of things on Google, but the answer is, talk to someone who knows this and can look at your affairs at an overall because you don't want to make the wrong decision you, you we would never say make an investment just for the tax advantage because the pension's going to win every day but you've got to be confident you can lock it up until your 50s or 60s that might not be that might not be right for a 20 year old who wants to use it for a, a house purchase is it so that yeah. tax advantage becomes irrelevant there much so that would we say you don't make the don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog so in the same vein, if you've got something that's already got tax, you might be letting the tax tail wag the investment dog in the reverse. I'm not coming out of it because of the tax. That might not be the right decision. So, well, I mean, I, mean, I think you've, you've, you've captured that, that beautifully there, Dave. I mean, it really is, as you say, it's really this, this kind of holistic approach is, is so important when you're looking at the kind of tax year end. And again, it's, it, you know, it sh you shouldn't be looking at, these these different op opportunities in isolation um while of course you know there, there will be some that will be you know very specific and um but fundamentally there's a there's a lot of inter interconnectivity between all of the different opportunities which need to be looked at together um i mean one thing we haven't touched on but i just wanted to touch on as, as we as we kind of near the end of, of this edition and that was just dividends i know we hadn't we have we haven't touched on it but um i just wanted to kind of cover off um you know dividends and, and and the kind of tax obligations around dividends and 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 what needs to be considered in 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 a tax year yeah so i think dividends i guess the first thing is you know highlighting what they are so the dividend is ultimately a, a payment for your entitlement to a share in a in a, in a business or um in, in a company so what we're seeing here is that if you are a shareholder the shareholder can receive um, an income for its entitlement that is the dividend now unless that's held in an isa you are typically going to see tax on those dividends now the dividends rates of tax have changed over time and there's an impending change this april so now is a great time to look if you've got holdings that are paying you dividends what are they what is the tax that's going to apply? How does that impact? And it's probably particularly important to business owners who will use dividends in such a way as part of their remuneration package overall. So principally, the first £2,000 a year is tax-free. So first £2,000 of dividends is tax-free. And then you pay tax above that depending on your income tax band. So we talked about this before with 
basic rate is one rate, higher rates another. So your seven and a half percent rate on dividends above two thousand at basic rate, thirty-two and a half percent if it's higher rate, and it's thirty-eight point one percent if additional. Um, so obviously that's when you're earning over one hundred and fifty thousand pound. So if you took that as an example, five k dividend payment, two k is tax-free, three thousand pound is taxable. If we then said that was at higher rate, you'd be looking at just less than a thousand pound in tax. But if the holdings were in an ISA, then they wouldn't suffer that tax at all. Um, so again, what have you got? How is it whole? How is it held? How is it structured? If retaining them is right, are they in the most tax efficient wrapper possible? Um, and there is obviously a rate rise coming in April on dividend taxation and it's set to rise by 1.25% across the board. So all of those rates will increase. Um, so if you are a business owner, if you do pay yourself in the form of dividends above salaries that utilize um, personal allowances, then certainly this time of the year is key to look at, do you make pension contributions? What are the profit extraction opportunities? If it's not pension contributions and it's dividends, where do you stand with the dividend rate changing from April? And is now the time to look at what you could do with that? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Dave. So, well, look, Dave, I think um, we're going to we're going to come to the end of, of this of this tax year end um, podcast. I mean, it's been really, really fascinating to, to talk to you today. And like I said, I think I think our listeners will get a real flavour of, I guess, just how important it is to a to you know the, the, the every the, the importance of really um, exploring the opportunity every year in terms of the reliefs and allowances is just so fundamental in terms of ensuring that you're as tax efficient as possible. Yes, I think so. I think that if we gain nothing else, I'd be very happy if if people listen to this and think that resonates with me. I might be in that circumstances. I should have a chat. And if you have a chat and you decide not to do something, you're making an informed decision. You're still making one. Absolutely. So, Dave, it just leaves to me to say thank you ever so much for joining me today on today's podcast. And um, I do hope we'll be speaking again soon. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Hope so. Great stuff. Cheers. And thank you, everybody, for listening.